Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to open your Bible to uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. And we're going to be talking about the context of thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. This is God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace and the God of peace will be with you. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. The Apostle Paul, as I trust you know, is writing this letter from uh, a beautiful seaside villa which he had purchased with the royalties from the sale of his other epistles. And um, as he's lounging by the pool, sipping a lemonade, it occurs to him, I should tell those folks back in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. Did I miss the context? Some of you are looking as if I may have misstated Paul was not actually in a beautiful seaside condo that he'd purchased with royalties from his other epistles. Paul was in prison. He spent a lot of time there. And he's writing to a group of people who had first gotten to know him when he'd spent some time in jail in their town. When Paul went to Philippi, He didn't just get to preach the gospel, he got to suffer for the gospel. Take a look in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were preparing a legal brief in which they were going to demonstrate that this violation of their rights... Oh, I'm sorry, I've, again, veered away from the text. Let me try it again. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't arm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole family. Again, may God add his blessing to this reading from His Holy Word. Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood is listener-supported. You can make a difference in the lives of those who hear this message and the lives of children at Wears Valley Ranch. We are grateful for gifts of any amount. Please visit us online at wvr.org. That's wvr.org. Or send in a donation to Where's Valley Ranch at 100 One Fine Place, Sevierville, Tennessee, 37862. That's Where's Valley Ranch at 100 One Fine Place, Sevierville, Tennessee, 37862. To step out of my comfort zone into the realm of the We are coming quickly onto a holiday that we call Thanksgiving. We hearken back to our pilgrim forebearers who, among the earliest settlers of this country, gave thanks to God, not only in prayer, but with a meal of celebration, because they were grateful. 
45 of the 102 who had started out to be part of that pilgrim colony had died during the first winter. There were additional deaths during that first year. And so only 53 of the original 102 were alive in November of 1621 and gathered to celebrate what we refer to as the first Thanksgiving. Now when that many dear family and friends have died in the last year, is it really time to celebrate? Yes. Is it really time to give thanks? Yes. On that first Thanksgiving, there were, as I understand it, four adult women left in that group. Four married women left. All the others had died. There were 22 men, some adolescents, and children. How would you be feeling? Well, Thanksgiving is not about how we're feeling. Some of us are not very happy with current events. Some of us look at what's going on in our country and we get sort of a sick feeling in our stomach like, uh-oh. We could go from bad to worse. And we could. You may have seen the bumper sticker that says, somebody told me, cheer up. Things could be worse. And sure enough, I cheered up and things got worse. Can you relate? Do you ever feel like, oh, I survived, and then the floor gives out? Sometimes we go from one difficulty to another, and I often point out the fact that when Paul and Silas were there in prison rejoicing and singing hymns of praise to God, praying and praising God with song, they did not get a visit from an angel who said, now guys, just want you to prepare in a few moments, there's going to be an earthquake, but don't be nervous. It's all under control. It's all for the good. These guys were doing what God told them to do, and in the context of obedience, they got falsely charged and illegally beaten, severely beaten, and then put in the innermost cell, which is the stinkiest one of all. My father would not appreciate my saying stinky in a sermon, or anywhere else for that matter, but I think it's the appropriate term to describe what it would be like in the innermost cell. This is a horrible place. And they're not able to sleep. It's around midnight and they can't sleep. They are in stocks. Their wounds have been untreated. Nobody had given them first aid after the beating. They have been tortured for their faith. Total violation of their rights. That'll be dealt with later. Not in this message, but in the text. And yet, God gave these men, by His Spirit, the capacity to rejoice. 
to do what Paul would later tell the Philippians they need to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. We're to give thanks to God, not based on the fact that, you know, circumstances are pretty good. I'm, I'm doing pretty well right now. Fortunately, I diversified my portfolio. No, that's not what this is about. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's not based on how we feel. It's not based on what our circumstances are. But as these men are doing that, which is the right thing to do, they're doing the right thing. They got thrown in jail for doing the right thing. They suffered a beating for doing the right thing. Now they're again continuing to do the right thing. They are praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And as they do that, suddenly an earthquake, a major earthquake that does major damage to the building hits the place where they are. They have got no word from God that they're going to make it through the night. As the walls start coming down and the chains start coming loose, they know they could be seconds away from death. What should a Christian do if he's seconds away from death? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. What's going to happen to me if I die? I'm spending a lot more time in planes these days than I like. But it is a great time for prayer. I have never really been nervous about flying. I simply know that the more often I ride in a car and the more often I get on a plane, the more likely statistically it is that something unpleasant could happen to me. But I'm really not nervous. I do pray for my family that in the event something happens to me, they will all stand strong. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be absolutely fine. Somebody said, if, if you were in a plane crash, would, would you want to be one of the survivors? I said, well, there would definitely be a good book there. <laughs> you know, I walked away from flight 323. But I really would love to go to be with Jesus. And so when this circumstance occurs there in Philippi, they had no warning. But they continue to trust God. They continue to rejoice. They continue to give thanks. And Paul's focus is not on, we got to get out of here. Paul's focus is making sure that everyone else is all right. The jailer who imprisoned him, who put him in the innermost cell, who locked him into those stocks, who had done nothing for his wounds, that jailer is about to kill himself. And instead of saying, well, he deserves it, Paul says, wait, don't harm yourself. Everybody's here. We're okay. Now, I mean, I don't know who these other prisoners were. I don't know how many of them there were. But Paul is what we call a high D personality. Okay? He is a take charge kind of guy. And he doesn't say to the other prisoners, hey, fellas, would you mind staying around? We don't want the jailer to get in trouble. He just announces, nobody's going anywhere. He's in charge. Why? Because he's God's man. God wired him that way, and he takes charge in this situation, tells the jailer, don't harm yourself, we're all here, everybody stay put. I love this guy. But I want you to understand that is the context 
in which we read those verses from Philippians about how we're supposed to behave. It wasn't written by somebody who has never been through any tough stuff. It's written by somebody who has suffered enormously and is writing it from prison. He's not writing it from prison because he's having to pay for his crimes. He's done bad things. He's writing it from prison because he's being persecuted for righteousness' sake. What are we supposed to do when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake? We don't have to ask Paul. We can ask Jesus. Jesus says when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, rejoice. Rejoice. Because that's the way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're going to be rewarded when you suffer for righteousness' sake. Consider it a guaranteed return on your investment. And the Apostle Paul does tell us that the return on our investment is greater than our sufferings by a magnitude that is so great, it is so much greater than our present sufferings that they can't even be compared. There is no comparison. We're going to be blessed so greatly as a return on our investment that it makes whatever we suffer now light and momentary. That's the way it's described. Now, when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel very momentary, does it? When you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, well, this will be over in just a minute. It won't be over in just a minute. It may be over in some years, but guess what? In the light of eternity, a lifetime on this earth is like the flowers of the field. Here today, and then gone. The things we go through while we're in the midst of it may seem like it's an eternity, but it's not. It's momentary. I remember my mom sitting in a nursing home, her arms in the air, praying for the Lord to take her home. She was eager to go be with Jesus. Guess what? He didn't take her that afternoon. But he did take her. She is with the Lord. But God wanted her to have 99 years here on earth. And so she got to have 99 years here and witness to tons of people and open the doors for me to witness to people that we would never have come in contact with if mother hadn't had health issues that made it necessary for her to go into the nursing home. She said to me after she went into the nursing home, you know, when I first came here, I didn't think I was going to like this, but I think the stimulation of being around people my own age has been good for me. You see, when I lived at your house, I had no mission. Everybody in your family knows the Lord. But here, there are Certainly people who are wonderful Christians, but there are other people who don't know Jesus. And so I have a mission field. What a great attitude. Let me tell you something, folks. Whatever you're going through, it's temporary. It's temporary. It may be painful. It may be frustrating. It may be exhausting. But it's temporary. And you will either live through it or you go to heaven if you're a Christian. That's, that's a win-win. Either way, you're going to be okay if you're in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, you've got serious troubles because 
Nothing that is miserable, painful, unpleasant, embarrassing, scary here on earth can compare to the torment of spending eternity in hell. And if you don't know Christ, there is no suffering in this life that compares with the suffering that you will face for eternity. But folks, if you are in Christ, there is no pleasure, no joy, no wonderful, beautiful thing in this life that compares with the glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. And so, we have got to live this life in the light of eternity. And we learn to do that by practice. We have to put into practice the things that God tells us to do. It does not come to us automatically because we just feel that way. We just wake up, all of us, every morning. If you're a Christian, I know this is your experience too. You wake up every morning filled with sunshine. And you say to yourself, wow, I feel great. It is so wonderful to be a child of God. That's just not the way life is. And so we don't just praise God when it looks good, feels good, sounds good. We praise God because God is good. Look with me for just a moment at Psalm 100. Because I have a sneaking suspicion when we get to heaven we may find out this is one of the songs that they were singing in the Philippian prison. There's a great songbook here for us in the scriptures. Psalm 100, this is God's word. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. There is so much in that psalm, but I want you to zero in on one thing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you want to get close to God, this is the way in. Now, Jesus is the way through whom we come, but we should come through Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ rejoicing, giving thanks and praise to God. That is the appropriate way. I heard a story just this week I thought was kind of cute. A Jewish grandmother is giving instructions to her adult grandson. And she says, now when you come to my apartment building, there is a large panel by the front door. I'm in apartment 301, so just use your elbow to push the button for 301, and that will buzz my apartment. And he said, well, grandmother, that sounds pretty simple, but why do I need to use my elbow? And she said, what, you coming empty-handed? I like that story. 
When we come to worship God, there is a sense in which we come empty-handed, but we ought to come with our hands raised. That's all the time we have for today, but we hope that you're enjoying this message, and we hope that you'll tune in next time. When Lord willing, we'll bring you the conclusion. You don't want to miss it. Meanwhile, please pray for us and consider making a contribution that will allow us to continue to care for and minister to the children who come to the ranch from crisis family situations. For more information on this ministry, we'd love for you to call us at 866-41-ABIDE or visit our website, wvr.org. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.